but as we do, you know, uh, I just want to state maybe some obvious, okay? So these are kind of uh, Captain Obvious statements that I'm going to start out with, okay? And, and the first one is this, sometimes forgiveness is hard work, right? As we have learned in this year, sometimes it's easy. And it's something small, uh, something not that big, you know, whoop de doo dah to some extent. We could easily go off. But there are times when forgiving somebody else, or maybe, to put it a different way, to forgive ourselves is really hard work. It's necessary work, but sometimes it is hard work. Secondly, forgiveness is not reconciliation. These are two different uh, avenues. And maybe in the future we will tackle, there's some great uh, verses and passages in Scripture about being reconciled to one another and reconciliation. But these are not the same thing. Forgiveness is something we can do on our own. I believe it is the foundation, or at least half of the bridge that is needed for reconciliation, but reconciliation demands change in behavior on the other party's part. That's why it, it isn't just uh, good enough for us to say, I'm forgiven by God, I need to be reconciled to God, which requires a change in behavior on my part. I can't continue on the same way just because I've been forgiven. If I want to be reconciled, Paul says, be reconciled to God. He doesn't need to change. He is not the offender. We offend God. But it's not the same. So as we've gone through this, I just want you to be reminded that reconciliation is a second step in this process. You can forgive, but it doesn't mean the relationship goes as if it never happened in the first place. Forgiveness is something we can do. Forgiveness shows God's heart. The heart of God is in forgiveness, as we learned. He is a forgiving God. He's a just God. Forgiveness is not just a good idea, nor is it just good for our health. Though I can point you to many articles and books and other like that would tell you that being a forgiving person does that. It helps you physically, mentally, emotionally, and obviously relationally. But we don't do this just because it's a good idea. We do it because it shows God's heart to the world. It shows us God's heart. On the cross, we are forgiven. Jesus uttered the words that started our series on Easter Sunday. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then turning to that thief on the cross who, who, who knew nothing else besides the fact that Jesus in the middle of the cross didn't deserve to be there, but somehow comes to a confession of faith where Jesus says, but truly you will be with me today in paradise. God's heart is shown in forgiveness. So as we go through this text this morning, as I do at times, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna kind of let you know what the whole point, my whole goal this morning is to speak to the heart one last time on forgiveness. It's not necessarily to give you a, a sense of how to, 
we kind of covered some of that. We've talked about empathy. We've talked about remembering differently. We've talked about showing mercy. We talked about clinging to the good of forgiveness. I'm not looking to rehash those things. I'm looking to allow the word of God speak directly to our heart. That the seeds that would be planted would grow. That we would learn to cultivate this ongoing attitude of forgiveness. And so with that, we read in Luke chapter 20 these words, keeping a close watch on him. This would probably be the Sanhedrin, the teachers, chief priests. They sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They, the spies hoped to catch Jesus in something he said, so they may hand him over to the Romans with the whole goal of execution, which is only going to come in a few short pages in the book of Luke, in the Gospel of Luke. You know, he's already entered uh, in on uh, triumphal entry or, or Palm Sunday, as we call it. He's already there. And, and he's already kind of spoke a parable against the chief priest, but they realize they can't do anything about it. So in a few short days in the Gospel of Luke, he is going to be handed over. But they're trying to up the ante here. So they, the spies questioned him. They said, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right, and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with his truth. So, they ask, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their hypocrisy and duplicity, and he said to them, Show me a Daenerys, whose image and whose ascription are on it? Caesar, they replied. And Jesus said back to them, They get back to Caesar what is Caesar, get back to God what is God's. An interesting exchange. And there's a lot we don't know about this. There's a lot that uh, you read uh, commentators, scholars, and, and most of them will say, we wish there was more to kind of what went on afterwards. And what did Jesus really mean with this? You know, and, and I'm only going to focus to some extent on the last half of this Remarks of his words give to God what is God's. But I want us to back up just a little bit. The spies, those that were pretending to be followers of Jesus, they probably had heard enough of Jesus' teaching that they come up on their own to some extent. I don't think the chief priests kind of followed this to them. I think these were people who were familiar enough with it. Because after all, if you're going to spy on somebody, you at least want to know their movements, their personality, what they say, what they don't say. They want to try to catch him in. So they, it's not like they're brand new to this. You know, they, they have this understanding and they say, they say words like this. Jesus teaches us God's way. You are a teacher and you're impartial. You, you teach the way of God in truth and all of us. Jesus teaches us God's way, but let's stop. I mean, once again, you may go, duh, there's nothing new about this. If you've been around the church, this is not a new statement, is it? But I think 
We need to stop for a minute here. These people who were trying to set a trap knew the right words to say, but they had no intention of living out the words they said. They knew what they were doing. The disciples, I don't think, knew. We read it, and we'll get to this, Jesus saw through them, because Jesus being all-knowing and all-seeing saw through it. But, but to the other bystanders, I wonder if at times uh, when they said these things, they're going, yeah, yeah, that's right. I wonder what they're going to ask next. See, Jesus teaches us God's way, but sometimes we stop at that. He teaches us the way of life, but the question is, is do we live the way of life? Or do we just stop in his knowledge? We must commit to living out Jesus' words. We don't get this uh, beauty of just saying, well, Jesus does teach the way of life, it just doesn't matter how I live. Jesus never would say that. We can't just let our knowledge of Jesus, as good and important as it is, to forego living out that knowledge of him. Paul in 1 Corinthians says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. As I was reading this week in, in light of uh, uh, Tim Keller, Timothy Keller, the pastor of New York and, and scholar and evangelical apologist, and you're going to add to this on as he passed away this week. He went on into glory. And many were reading about how he's done lots for discipleship, and, and I can't remember where, whether he said it or, or he was in a conversation where it said that part of the problem with discipleship is we have a whole lot of knowledge, but we don't live it out. And we're all carrying excess weight of knowledge and not living it out in the context of our work. Doesn't matter how many sermons you hear, doesn't matter how many Sunday school lessons you be a part of, how many small groups, how deep you know of Scripture if you're not willing to live it out. As we learned in the book of James, these words, don't fool yourself into thinking that you are, you are a listener when you are anything but letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. That's an amen right there. I heard that. All right. If we can't just think we're doing it because we gain knowledge. We must commit. Here in these spies, we see at times what is the temptation of you and I to say the right things, to know the answer, but never do anything with it. We may even go to church on Sunday morning and we would say we know Christ, but how we live the rest of the week is anything but that. We treat others poorly. We say things we ought not to say. Or we just fail to even interact with Christ. We just go on as if life doesn't really matter of who he is. But here's the truth. Jesus cannot be 
24. We read here in verse 23 that Jesus saw strength through them. He can't be fooled. Now, what's even more interesting about this is think about how he even showed them that he knew what was really going on here. Because he asked them for a coin. They asked, should we pay taxes? He says, well, show me a coin. Well, guess what, friends? They weren't happy to go look for one. They had it in their pockets. Most likely. They had it readily available. They were willing to play the game as, with Rome as long as it may, met their approval, as long as it did something for them, as long as they reaped the benefits from it. They just had this one idea of, shall we pay this one tax? You know, the interesting thing is the Sanhedrin, according to Jewish tradition, were the ones who actually collected this tax on behalf of See, they're really trying to get him either to say Rome shouldn't exist and therefore they can turn him into Rome or, or say, yeah, go ahead and pay it and then the public opinion is against him. But notice that you can't fool Jesus. He knew they had it on him. How many times, if we are not careful, the same is with us. Let me apply this a little bit to the area of forgiveness. We can forgive someone even when they have fooled us because we know they cannot fool Jesus. We can forgive others even when we think they do not deserve it because Jesus will not be fooled and there is coming a day when all of us will give an account. Every single one of us. So I don't have to hold on to something when I can give it to Jesus who will not be true fool. The warning is that those of us who confess Jesus as Lord and then live as if we are Lord are not fooling anyone that matters. Many years ago there was a book put out, and probably now close to 15 years, called Christian Atheist. I believe the subtitle was something like this, Professing Jesus as Lord and Living as If It Doesn't Matter. Where we, in our culture, we, in, in our churches, can say the right things, but then when it comes to Monday through Saturday, we act and live as if we are the Lord of life and how we make choices. And so Jesus, knowing that they had one nearby or at least in their hand maybe, said, show me and tell me. What does it say? And in it, the description would have been there saying that this is, uh, this is a coin that is Caesar Augustus son of uh, Augustus the God. And on the other side would have been his mother, who was known as the, uh, the, the God of Peace. I mean, it would, it, 
It was kind of his way of saying, this is my money. And Jesus says, well, if it's his, bears his mark. Give to him what is his. But also make sure you're giving to God what is God's. Give to God what is his. Here, the religious establishment of the day was trying to trap Jesus on a hot-button issue of the day. And Jesus in his wisdom, Jesus in his grace, Jesus in his justice and his truth says, fine, if you want to play that game, you better make sure you're also giving to God what is rightfully his. What is his? One may ask. His is ourselves. We are all made in God's image. When I choose to forgive somebody, I'm choosing to place that person back in the hands of God. I'm choosing to say, I'm no longer going to hold it. I'm giving you back to who you're supposed to belong to. We were joking with uh, Miss Lisa from uh, the library last night. Uh, somehow I have two kids that are old enough to go to teen center. I'm not sure how that happened. Uh, I know many of you others understand that. You know, like Kevin Chaney, I believe you have two thirds of your kids graduated. You know, they're like almost adults or maybe adults or something like that. And she joked about, you know, uh, you know what would, if, if she had issues with them, who were they to call? I said, just go ahead and call the police. They can give, you know, give our kids to the police. And the reality is, the sooner they the police would just give them back to me and why? Because they're supposed to be mine. You know, give them back to who they belong, you know, uh, type of thing. <coughs> when we forgive someone else, that is exactly what we're doing. We're putting them back where someone belongs. Is this easy? No. Because sometimes we really want to hold on because we want to we want to make sure they get what they deserve. We want to make sure that 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 maybe they don't experience too much grace or too much mercy. And what we do is we put ourselves in the place of God who says, I know what is best with this person. That's why one of the things my youth pastor taught me that has always stuck in my head and it's, I get daily reminders of it when I send emails out and about is he does. It was based on uh, 2 Corinthians that we were bought with a price and so we are to live the difference. But I am to be God's. I am placed in the hands of God. And I want others to realize that they can be placed in the hands of God. They need to see who he is. And in a world that is getting more and more angry, in a world that is hurting, in a world that is not always going to be fun for us as Christians to be in, in a world that is ever-changing, one of our greatest ways to proclaim the gospel, to start proclaiming the gospel by forgiving one another. 
and putting it back in the hands of God. They don't deserve it, no more than I deserve forgiveness. But I will put them in the hands of the one that created them. And so we, too, must remember this. And so, as I start to wrap up this time, I want to just remind you that every week I give you back to God. Sometimes I do that better than others. And it hopes that when I give you back to God, you will see the heart of God and you will want to be different. It reminds me that it isn't always my job to do certain things, that though your creator can do it way better than I can. My job is to faithfully live out my calling as it is yours. But I try to do this in one by forgiving you when, when you say things that maybe you didn't say it the best way. Or when I'm hurt, I forgive somebody else and I put them back into the hands of God and I hope you do the same. In other ways, I try to say this, this isn't, when I talk to people, I don't stop, I try not to use words like, this is my church. Goodness gracious, we'd be in a whole lot of trouble with us. Or that you are my people. You're the people that God has led me to serve. You are God's church that I'm to steward and lead. Exactly. He's getting it. Is this AJ or Justin? Justin. Justin. I knew I wasn't going to get it right, so I asked. You know, he gets it, he even rolled it in. You know. All right. In the same way, this isn't really your church. This is God's church that he's led us to be a part of. We give this back to God. At the same time, I've been reminded all series of the movie and play, Name is Roblitz. Anybody ever seen it? Name is Roblitz. Great one. Oh, you need to do it. And if I thought it would work, I would pull out the scene from YouTube, but I'm not sure what ad would be shown uh, in, in the process, so I choose not to do that. To just, I can't control the ads. But it's a Google, a YouTube it, right? Uh, Name is Roblitz, forgive me to see it. Right? You need to see it. If, see, don't believe me, believe Sue. You know? It's a story of forgiveness. It's a story of what can happen when we forgive. It takes place in old world France, where there was this criminal who took advantage of, uh, I believe, a Catholic priest, only by the look of things, but I don't have all the details. Uh, stuck in my head as well. The Catholic priest had helped him out, and then at one time in the middle of the night, this this uh, criminal, Valjean, I believe is his name, probably not the way to pronounce it, but that's how I will pronounce it this morning. He starts ransacking the place. He takes all the silk, because it was silverware in those days. I mean, the real good stuff. And he's loading it all up. And the priest comes and catches him, and they see each other eye to eye, and Valjean just kind of knocks his lights out. 
continues on his way, but now that he knows he's been seen and found, he runs. Oh, how that could be slaughtered like people will be paying and then they run. Then, unfortunately, for Belgian, his his worst case scenario comes to be the French police find him. They find the fact he has silverware in his knapsack and other things that really one would not have just kind of going around. They recognize it being from the Abbey, and so they send him back, and they take him back, and they say to this Catholic priest bishop, here, uh, you know, Valjean here says, you told him to take this stuff. And the bishop with a little shiner under his eyes, to the amazement of everybody, said, well, absolutely, I did. But you left the good candlesticks. I mean, those are worth it. And you see the uh, person who is there, the lady, she starts weeping about the fact the good silverware is gone and the bowls and now the candlesticks and the, and the, and the French police are like, wait a minute, he was telling us the truth? Well, they may have been fooled. But the other two knew it was not. And he, he rushes to go get the good silver candlesticks to put in his bag. Amazed, the French police say, well, there's nothing we can do here. And they leave. We're left with this moment between the Catholic bishop and Belgine, where Belgine asks the question, why? Did you do this? Why did you forgive me? What do I owe you? And the bishop's response is, I give you back to God. In that moment of forgiveness, of reminder of whose Belgian was really supposed to be, changed his whole life. A hardened criminal changes because of an act of forgiveness. Now there are others in this movie that do not do the same thing. They receive forgiveness and they go back to their old ways. But for those who will receive, when we realize we are to be given back to God, life change happens. And that is the power of forgiveness. As I close, I read a portion of uh, Edward Worthington's book on forgiveness that I've been interacting with over the past few months, where he reminisces about this a brief poem that has no real uh, attribution. We don't know who penned it. Says this: Two natures beat within my breast. One is cursed, and one is blessed. One I love and one I hate. The one I feed will dominate. Friends, we need to realize that what we feed will grow. I encourage you to feed the attitude of forgiveness. Which is near to the heart of God. Realizing that God himself will not be fooled. And he will always do what is right, what is just, 
what is good. And when we forgive, we are facing, maybe we need to forgive ourselves, we place ourselves back in the hands of God. Who loves us with an unfailing love. Who loves us so much that he sends his only son to live, to die, and to be risen again. And so, if the resurrection is true, and it is true, then you and I can forgive. Because if the resurrection is true, and it is true, then we know one day all will be right again. Not just because we are resurrected, but because the world is made free. Alicia and I have remarked many times over these past few weeks about Gary and his life and his death and how the resurrection is true. And for him, all has been made right. He's having some kind of time up in glory. He has seen his Savior face to face. We have questions still. We wonder some things, but we know because of the resurrection, it wasn't his loss, but his gain. As I've been, been reflecting on Timothy Keller's life, or Tim Keller's life, he said these words as he battled with cancer the past two years. He says, for the Christian, death is nothing but a tremendous gain because the resurrection is true. That's our hope, friends. That's why we can be people who give people back to God and forgiveness. That's why we can extend forgiveness when people don't deserve it. That's why we can love our neighbors even when they don't deserve it because Christ is who he said he is. So I give you back to God and I challenge you to commit to living out the way of Jesus today. Regardless of what may come because there's coming a time when all will be made right. Will you pray for me? Father God, we thank you for this time.